the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounce. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All right, we are underway this hour. It is Wednesday, July 12th, your Stampede Wednesday, and we're coming at you from our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios. All brought to you by our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Steinberg and Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. Hello, Mr. Vickers. Patrick, how are you doing today, I'm buddy? doing well. I'm doing tell. well. Yeah, let's go. Let's, uh, let's get it going. And let's... Uh, Got a busy hour coming up for you on this Wednesday. The American League has released their schedule, so we're going to dive into some AHL talk with Flames VP of Hockey Ops and AGM Brad Pascal later this hour. Get an update on where the Wranglers are with their coaching search and a whole lot more. We'll get all that with Brad Pascal later on this hour. But let's let's talk a little bit about something that we got into over at Brian Burke's Targets for Kids on Tuesday. Uh, the second hour of Flames. Talk Tuesday. We started by talking about Jacob Markstrom, and not that we didn't get an opportunity to flesh the conversation out. It just uh, maybe got cut a little short because then we brought in Craig Conroy live, and we brought in Brian Burke live, and we talked about a number of different things. So, I want to double back on that conversation about the potential for Jacob Markstrom to have a bounce back season. Get the text line engaged at nine sixty nine sixty. And also talk about some other candidates for bounce back seasons this year. I think that's a good way to kick things off. And and just to reset, I think you and I were on the same page. More likely than not that Jacob has a much better season than what we saw last year. Not expecting him to and and not calling that he's going to return to the lofty targets that he hit in his Vesta Trophy runner-up season but maybe return a whole lot closer or right to those career averages, which we had talked about. The prior four years, before his best and worst seasons as a starter, the last two years, the four years prior to that, he was a 9-12 goalie averaging about 50 starts a year. So if you're averaging around 50 starts a year and you're putting up 9-12 numbers, you're a number one goalie. You're, you may not be an elite number one goalie, but you're a number one guy. And that's what Markstrom had shown to be over four years. That's what I think we can expect. If Markstrom's going to bounce back, it's far less about whether or not he bounces back to being a 921 goalie again. It's more can he be in that 910 to 915 range, which is the range that he has mostly been at for his starting career. Yeah, if you're expecting him to bounce back to the Vesna candidate that he was in 2021-22 when he had a 922 save awesome. percentage, uh, yeah, but you're setting him up for failure that way. I think if you set the bar so high that you're a top three goalie in the NHL after finishing 34th last season in save percentage at 892, that's not a bar you're going to be able to hurdle, and it shouldn't be the expectation for Jacob Markstrom, which should be the expectation for Jacob Markstrom is somewhere in and around that 2.72 goals against the 912 save percentage that he had over the course of the six seasons prior to his career year and then prior to his career low. Yep. And if you're the Calgary Flames, if you can get 910, 912 save percentage out of him after he put up an 892 last year, 
you're in a lot better position to make some noise in the Pacific Division and push yep. for a playoff spot. The Calgary Flames weren't far off from being a playoff team in 2023. They were right there. They were knocking on the door. They well, were well, fighting. They were, they were eliminated two, in game 81. Yeah, right? two points out. So if your goaltending goes from 892 to 910, 912, that is what, 15 ish goals against fewer? Oh, like his, man. They, they uh, average goaltending. They were a playoff yes. team last year. No questions asked. Goaltending wasn't their only issue. They had trouble scoring. There was all the dysfunction. There was the Daryl Sutter stuff. But they have average NHL goaltender, uh, goaltending, like somewhere between 12 and 18 or, or even 15 to 20. If they were in the middle tier of team goaltending, team save percentage, they're a playoff team. And we're not taught Winnipeg's collapse would have done them in if the Flames had gotten NHL average goaltending. And this isn't all to put it on Jacob Markstrom because the Calgary Flames were stingy in what they gave up in terms of quantity. But there was sure a lot of quality in that low quantity that not necessarily hung Jacob Markstrom out to dry, but there were a lot of 50 50 opportunities that went in. That you're like, oh, if he could, if Jacob Markstrom could have only saved this one, or if he only could have saved that one. They need Calgary Flames need one more save. Well, they need one fewer 50-50 scoring opportunity untouched from the slot. Right. So factor that in, layer that in, and that's something that we've heard Ryan Huska kind of address in his introductory press conference. Where yeah, they're happy with the quantity they gave up, but not necessarily happy with the quality. So if they can shore that up, and suddenly Jacob Markstrom is a nine ten goalie somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, Middle of the pack would have been roughly somewhere around 908, 907 last year in terms of save percentage, just because scoring was was much higher last season. But if you can get back to 908, 909, 910, the Calgary Flames, at least from a goaltending perspective, are in a lot better position than they were last year when they were knocking on the door to be a playoff team. So just to that point, before we move on from Jacob, the Flames gave up, and this is over at our friends at Natural Statrix. So they gave up 707 high-danger scoring chances against at 5-on-5 five five against uh, just, o- just over 4,300 shot attempts against. Uh, sorry, just over, uh, let's try that again. 707 divided by 32.28. So they were at 21.9% of their shot attempts against last year were high-danger scoring chances. That seems a little high, does it not to you? It, it, it does. Okay. So I just want to go. So now the, the number three team for high-danger scoring chances against, just raw numbers, was Seattle. Because Calgary was number two in terms of chances against, like quality slot chances against. And so over 21% of their shot attempts ended up being um, high-danger scoring chances. Seattle was next, and they are... Drum roll, please. I can't do the math. Um, I just know the 21% is probably a little bit higher. One in five shots were a high-danger scoring opportunity against for Jacob Markstrom, Dan yeah. Vladar, and the Calgary Flames. That yeah. is too high. I, so don't I, even, just, I don't even need to know what it is in comparison to other teams. One in five shots shouldn't be a high-danger scoring opportunity against. Yeah, yeah that's and, and it's just one of the... And there were teams that were worse. There's no doubt about it. But when you are the number two team... In terms of chances against, you probably want that uh, number to be a little bit a little bit lower than that. All things being said, though, seems like there is a lot of positivity when it comes to Jacob Markstrom and what he's going to be next season. This was Craig Conroy when he was with us Tuesday at Targets for Kids, and uh, we asked him a little bit about his goaltending going into next season. He's pretty dialed in. I mean, I talked to him last Friday, and uh, you know, we had a great talk, probably. 45 minutes and just you know hey he's 
ready to go this year. He's been on the ice skating. Last year he had a hip injury when he went home and he didn't skate much in the summer. So now for him to already be full on getting going and uh, he's very focused and not happy with the way things went last year. So that's a that's a positive thing for the team. Just my biggest observation from that clip is how loud that shot was in the background. <laughs> okay, that was loud. We thought it was loud while we were there. It, it was loud when we were loud. there, but yeah, it carried forward. Uh, this text says, I agree with you guys 100% regarding Markstrom. Five more saves a game, about 20 goals less a year should do it. With the Flames pursuing a more offensive system, the chance to lock down defensively might be tricky to hit too much higher than a 900 save percentage. But I don't know if that is necessarily the case. Because I take a look at the year that Shesterkin wins the Vezda Trophy. Now, Shesterkin is in a different world. He is, you know, maybe the best goaltender on the planet or one of the two or three best on the planet right now. But that year that he wins the Vezna, I mean, the Rangers were playing a very high-risk, high-reward brand of hockey, and Shesterkin was closing the door at a ridiculously high rate. My point being that just because you give up shots or just because you are a little bit more dialed in offensively or a little bit more free offensively, doesn't necessarily correlate to save percentage numbers going down. If Jacob is the goaltender that he's capable of being, and if he's the goaltender that he was in Vancouver, which was a very high shot volume against team, I think he can still be in the 910 to 915 range, which is exactly what I think the Flames are going to need from him over 50-plus starts next year. For me, it depends on the type of chances. If the Calgary Flames decide to go full-on run-and-gun and they're giving up two-on-ones, three-on-twos... I don't think Ryan Huska has any interest no, in that. No, I, I'll agree with you on that one. So again, if you can eliminate those slot chances, as you call them, the high-danger chances, the, the ones that, you know, the pass comes from the boards or out in the corner and suddenly it hits the stick of an opposition who's sitting between the hash marks staring Jacob Marks from dead in the eye, if you can eliminate those, I don't care if you give up 35 shots a game. As long as one in every five of those shots isn't a high danger chance. You, like, right. Look at look at the flip side. The Calgary Flames threw absolutely everything at the net, and forty one times this past season, a visiting head coach told media post game, and I primarily go to the visiting side post game. Yeah, they throw a lot of shots on net. That's their game plan. Jay Woodcroft, they'll shoot from center ice. Look, Calgary Flames were a shot volume team. Didn't necessarily mean they were a high danger chance team. Yeah. So if the Calgary Flames can, on the other side, eliminate some of those high danger chances, give up 35 a night from the perimeter. I'm sure Jacob Markstrom isn't going to mind one bit. Text lines open at 960-960. We're talking Flames bounce back candidates for next year. Uh, this is the final week of Flames talk for about four weeks. So uh, Flames talk will go on hiatus following this week. So getting into some more big picture conversations this week as well as we preview next season. Let's talk Jonathan Huberto. He, we don't have to spend too much time on him just because he's been such a big talking point all summer long. But I also think there was a guy who there was a guy who texted in when we were talking about Huberto on Monday. It was uh, Pike with us on yeah, Monday, yeah. and we were talking about Jonathan Huberto and who uh, who might be you know good to pair with him, who might be good to have on a line with him for next season. And and Logan and I were talking about that as well. And somebody just texted in that day and said, guys, it's clear. Huberto will never return to higher than 60 points. Okay. And and I just said, I, I basically, well, I didn't basically, I 100% used the same logic on Markstrom that we just used when talking about Huberto. Jonathan Huberto, much like Jacob Markstrom, is coming off his very best and his very worst seasons as kind of an impact player in the NHL. From 115 to 55, a historic drop in points per game, the worst we've ever seen. But prior to that, 
69 and 82, 92 and 82, 78 and 69, 61 in 55. This guy, prior to his two last seasons, his best and his worst, has been a point-per-game player in the National Hockey League. And so if you are a point-per-game player for four consecutive years in the NHL, then hit 115 and then drop to 55, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, and the truth is probably a whole lot closer to those four seasons prior to your peaks. And that's what the Flames need Jonathan Huberto to return to. They are, I believe, paying him to be a 75 to 85 point player. That's what I think the expectation of Jonathan Huberto is not to be a 115 point player and clearly not to be a 55 point player. But they're looking at him to be 60 plus assists, you know, or, or in that range. 20 and 60 or something like that is kind of your target, I think, if you're Jonathan Huberto. And he's done that before. And he has been a point-per-game player before. Again, you go 92 points in 82 games, 78 points in 69 games, and 61 points in 55 games. Three straight years of being a point-per-game guy before exploding for 115 points. So why, why would it just be the foregone conclusion that Nope, he's never getting back to 60-plus points again. Those those seasons prior to him being 115 points, those were also misnomers. I think that's a little bit more what we're talking about when it comes to Jonathan, a guy who can get you 75 to 85 over a full 82-game season. Yeah, that was the exact argument I was going to use, is you throw out Markstrom's best and worst, which just happened to come in consecutive years. Same thing with Jonathan Huberto. Throw out his best to career high, 115 points, set an NHL record for points by a left winger, followed it up with a 60-point drop, if my math is good on the fly, at 55 points in 79 games this past season. Throw out the high, throw out the low. And as you mentioned, he was over a point per game in his three seasons prior. So that's probably more true to where Jonathan Huberto lies than the 115-point guy in 80 games and the 50-point guy, 55-point guy in 79 games. Yep. So if he can give you... Somewhere between 80 to 85 to 90. That's kind of where my benchmark is. That's back to Jonathan Huberto being Jonathan Huberto. And that's, of course, over an 82-game season. And yep. extrapolate it back. But he should be a 1.1, 1.15 points per game player in my books. That's why he landed the big contract. Co- conveniently coming off a, a career season and an that NHL probably, record that season. That probably that added a little bit of AAV for him. But he was still going to be... A high price. He was player. still going to hit double digits. Yeah, he is. I'd have to go back and look. I don't have it handy, but over the course of the pa- previous three seasons, if you go from 2018 to 2022, 2018 being his 92 point season, 2022 yep. being his career season, he's got to be a top three, top four scoring left winger in the league. And those guys get paid. If you're a top score, if you're a top five scorer at your position, guess what? You're earning double digits. And that's what Jonathan Huberto did. Now Jonathan Huberto is tasked tasked with getting back to that 1.1-ish points per game player that he's shown to be the three seasons prior. But even again, scrap that 115-point season. He still had 61 and 55, as you said, the year before. The year before that, 78 points in 69 games and 92 and 82. It's not like he hasn't done it. It's not like he was a 60-point player, 60-point player, 60-point player, 115-point player, 55-point player. He's shown he can produce. It's on him to get back to it. Now, my question for you, Patrick, who's more integral to get back to where they should be, Jonathan Huberto or Jacob Markstrom? I or is it go, 1A, 1B? That'll be the cop-out. Def- it definitely is, but I'd still put Markstrom 1A. See, now I would go Huberto only because 
I think you have more options to fill the the crease than you do the top line left wing. uh, NHL.com doesn't list Huberdeau as a left winger. They list him as a center. So what I did was, yeah. Come on, guys. What I did was I went and I went 2018-19 to 2021-22. So those four seasons, the 92-point season being the first year, the 115-point season being the last year, in those four years, he was the number four scoring forward in the NHL. Forward. Uh, forward. All uh, positions. Uh, no, number four scoring skater. Wood. Skater. Okay. All players. There you go. McDavid, Drysaddle, Kane, Huberdo. Now, can you do me a favor on the fly? Can you dial it back one year so it doesn't include the yes, 115 season? that's what I was going to do next. Just because I want to be, if we're going to say you have to throw out the high and the low, I'd be curious to see Number what he was. Number seven There you go. So a top, a top 10 scorer. Uh, the only players ahead of him, McDavid, Drysaddle, Kane, McKinnon, Marchand, Panarin, Huberdo. Pretty good company. So I guess the point that I'm trying to say is why, if you're cynical on Huberdo, I get it. That was a really awful first year. He would be the first to admit, and it was even worse because Matthew Kachuk went and had a career year, and Matthew Kachuk led the Panthers to the Stanley Cup final and and shoved it right up the the, the nose yep. of Flames fans. Like, we get it. And and then also Huberto struggling the way he did and the, the headbutting with Daryl Sutter and all that type of stuff. It was a nightmare. I grant you that. However, why is that? Why is that the one? I get recency bias. We're all guilty of it. But that's why we're trying to take a little bit of a bigger picture. So for three seasons in a row, he was the number, or or three seasons on aggregate, he was the number seven scoring player in the NHL. Then he was number four if you add that career year on a four-year basis. It drops a little bit if you add if you add last year, yep. but even if you even if you add last year to to balance everything out, uh, Huberdo is still a top ten scorer in the NHL. He's tenth among all uh, among all skaters. So why would it be crazy that after the worst season of his career, with a new coach and a more slanted emphasis on generating offense and right wing and and not playing the right side? Why is it crazy to think that he could return to being a 75 to 85 point player? Why is that so out of the question? And I'm not saying it is for everybody. I'm just saying there is a there is a, a, a section of Flames fans, and I get it. I'm not even trying to be critical. I understand it because of the nature of recency bias and how awful last year was. But if you take a look at the bigger picture and and add a little bit more of the probabilities and mathematics and just the the nature of being a, a an NHL player far greater chance than not that he returns to being a pretty prolific guy next season after the worst year of his career I, I don't disagree I think the expectation for him should be at minimum a point per game player again you said it you ran the math you include his last five seasons including that disastrous 50 point 55 point one we just endured he's still a top 10 point producer in the NHL over the past half decade so if you're a top 10, I feel like the expectation should start at point per game. If you play all 82, you should be somewhere between 80 and 85 points. And you know game. that Alan Walsh, his representative, would have been pushing those numbers and not just the 115 points, right? Like when... That, oh, yeah. That, track that, record. It's track record. He's exactly. got a proven track record of being a top five, top 10 producer in the NHL. It wasn't just solely a 115-point performance. Again, if he had done 55, 60, 65, 55 the four years prior to hitting 115... He's not getting eight years and ten and a half million dollars. You're just not. 
On the uh, text line, this comes in and says, Pat, I like your argument, but the difference with both Markstrom and Huberdeau is that you're looking back to years in their 20s where they're now in their 30s. With Huberdeau specifically, he also has a lucrative contract that takes him to his late 30s and doesn't have the same background pressure to perform. I hope I'm wrong, but I think he's a point-per-game guy for the next year or two and then into the uh, 60s and 50s from there on out. And that very well might be true. I I mean, he hasn't even started this monster record-setting eight-year contract. I I fully grant you that. However, we're talking about just next year and a guy who just turned 30. So I think next year, Jonathan Huberdeau, the 80-point guy, is not out of the question by any shape or form. In fact, I think there's a decent enough chance that that's what he bounces back to, especially because it is a brand-new overall feel and I'm not saying that means the Flames are a playoff team I'm not saying that means that they win the division all I'm saying is that individually I could see Huberdeau being far more popular in this city next year than he was this past season yeah and in five seasons or four seasons he drops to 65 points 60 points I don't think I'm having a conversation with you Pat where I'm arguing that I think he can bounce back to be a 100 point player because father time is undefeated in sports at some point, you're going to hit the decline. I just don't think Jonathan Huberto, as you mentioned, he's, what, 30 right now? I don't think he hits his decline at age 30. I yeah. don't think it's 55 points, 60 points, 55 points from here on out for the next eight years of this contract. What about Andrew Majapani? Uh Goes from 35 goals to less than half of that. Uh, in 17, he drops from uh, 55 points to 43. He does set a new career high last year in assists with 26. I think what we saw when Andrew Mangiapane hit 35 goals was a guy who was riding a uh, red-hot run of high shooting percentage. But I also think he's a high shooting percentage guy. Yeah. Take a look at his first three full NHL seasons. 15.6, This guy is an accurate shooter. He is well above the league average for shooting percentage. So for him to drop from 189 to 9.3%, to have his shooting percentage cut in half one year to the next, of course you're going to see him go from 35 to 17. And my point is, is Andrew Mangiapane an 18% shooter? Nope, but he's probably like a 14 to 15% shooter based on his career. He's an above average finisher in this league. So if he hits 180 shots or so at, say, 14%, we're talking about him being a 20 goal guy again. I'll do that quick math right now. So 180 times uh, 0.15. He's a 27 goal scorer yeah. if he's at 15% on 180 shots, which I think is right around where he is on a rolling aggregate of a, of a career. Some years it's going to be lower, some years it's going to be higher. But yeah, if, if Manjapani's shooting percentage returns to the norm, progresses back to a whole lot closer to what his averages are, even his overall career average with last year's career low knocked in there, he's a 14.9% shooter. So if he returns to closer to that and he remains a high-volume shooter, 185, 182 the last two years, then yes, he's clearly a 20 to 30 goal scorer next year. Does he get back to 35 again next year or for the rest of his career? Debatable. Maybe not. Does he hit 20 to 30 multiple times between now and the end of his career? For me, it's almost unquestionable that yes, he does because that's what I think Manges. I think he is a, a 20 to 25 goal guy on a year to year basis. And maybe I'm the guy wearing the rose colored glasses, but I think he should 
be more because you mentioned the career year when he had 35 goals in 21-22. He shot 18.9% on 185 shots. Last year when he had 17, which is his quote-unquote career low if you discount his 44-game stint as his rookie year. Yep. He had 9.3 shooting percentage on 182. So literally you just basically half everything. Shots are within three. Goal production was literally halved based on that shooting percentage. For me, it was more about where he was shooting from. I don't think he got inside near enough as he did in the 21-22 season when he scored 35 goals. When he was coming off that world championship explosion in the summer and parlayed it into his career year last year, sorry, two years ago, Yep. to only producing 17 goals in 82 games, I think, again, he should be a 25-plus goal guy. Not expecting him to shoot 19%, Although his two previous years he had did, he still had 18 goals in 56 games, shooting 19.8%. But if you total up his 342 games, he's a career 14.9% shooter, as you mentioned, and that translates to 27 goals. If he's getting inside, if he's getting greasy, if he's getting dirty, if he's getting into the eyes of the goaltender and he's mucking it up just on the edge of the blue paint, yep, he's going to bang in a lot of rebounds. He's going to get some tips. He's going to be in the fabric of the game as Glenn Gullitson used to like to say. Glenn Gullitson? Yep. Perfect. Yep. If he gets back to those areas and, and gets back to what I think of, when I think of Andrew Mangiapane's game, I think of that annoying little pest that still has the talent and the skill to pick corners from 15 feet out, to yep. get to bang in a rebound, to muck it up either in play or after the whistle with the defenseman, then I think he's a 25-plus goal guy. And m- maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I think he's closer to that than he is the guy that had 17 goals in 82 games. I, I think he's definitely a 20 goal guy on a regular basis in this league. And that doesn't mean that it happens every year, but I do. I think he'll flirt with 30 again before the end of his career. He'll probably have a year where he's under 20 again. Again, it's a rolling average league. That's, that's what this league is. But I think that that is kind of what you're talking about with, with Andrew and, and he, I think, has the ability to shoot at a higher volume than he did last year as well. I, th- I think I think over a full season, a more confident Andrew Manchapani, plus getting some power play. To, I, like I, I think that he can start to flirt with two hundred shots or more. And I think that if the if, if we're talking about that shooting percentage being where it should be, yeah, I, I think twenty five is a good annual target for Andrew Manchapani, and that would be. Eight more goals from Andrew Manchapani last year could have led to, you know, another win, win and a half or something like that. Maybe more, depending, knowing how many one goal games the Flames yeah, were last say, year, you're, you're that could have led, led to eight more wins. But my point is, is that, yeah, I think he's another guy who's got to bounce back in him next year, just based only on track record and resume. Okay, down to circle back, you had mentioned on Monday you were talking to Logo about potential fits on the right side for Jonathan Huberto. To me, Andrew Mangiapane is one of the guys that yep. I would... Sharon Govich is certainly one of them because you want to put your new acquisition. It might be a little unfair to put him exactly where Tyler Toffoli was. Their five-on-five five points are very comparable over the course of but the past season. But remember, Toffoli better, barely played with Huberto. It was Toffoli and yep. Lindholm. Yeah, briefly, and never went back to it. Nope. But uh, Toffoli and Lindholm were... were connected at the hip all year long, but Huberto was very, except on the power play, was very rarely with Toffoli. So I'm just, I'm just going to go out when I said that. I'm thinking Huberto left, Lindholm middle. Lindholm's pending, obviously. We don't know the situation yep. there, but if we're starting today, it goes Lindholm, Lindholm middle, 
Huberto left, and then I'm either going Sharon Govich right or Mangiapane Mangi right. Pani. So that's your fit with Huberto. I don't mind either of those. Th- th- that's where I would go with that. Uh, good stuff on the text line. This says Huberto's an 80-point guy, but it could be on a bad team. He's not leading you anywhere. And this says, why are you guys defending Huberto at a worst-case scenario 80 points? If anyone thinks he ever hits 100 again, never watched him play in Florida, he's never driven play. Unless they find a real play driver, he's likely to max out at 80 points. I'm just curious who on that line with Huberto, Bennett, and Duclair was the play driver on that. Like, would, would that have been Bennett? Maybe. Duclair? I don't I think any the guy of those. I that was a way more productive player would have been the guy kind of driving the bus offensively with that group. Not, not getting secondary assists. And I don't think any of those guys have a history of truly being a five-on-five play driver. Uh, but and the other, if, just... if Huberdo does bounce back to 80 points, that's what they want from him. And I... He, I think, is a guy that probably gets you, on average, seventy-five to eighty-five. That's what you're looking for, I think, from him next year. We gotta, we gotta wrap here. Just real quickly, I don't think the worst case scenario is eighty points for Jonathan Huberto. We just saw his worst case scenario. His yes. worst case scenario is replicating it. What he should be doing is a point per game player. He's proven it over the last five seasons. He's a top ten point producer in the league. We are coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studio on this Wednesday. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Steinberg Vickers along with you on this hour of the program. How about this? The American League has officially announced their schedule today, which means we now know for sure when the Calgary Wranglers start their year. The Wranglers will start on October 13th on the road against the Manitoba Moose. Their home opener is set for October 28th at the Scotiabank Saddledome against the Colorado Eagles. 72 games for the Calgary Wranglers in year two of their existence in this city and lots to dive into on this Wranglers team as they get their offseason set. We welcome in uh, the Vice President of Hockey Operations and Assistant General Manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Pascal, who also serves as the GM of the Calgary Wranglers. He's with us now on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hello, BP. How are we doing? Good. Pat, Aaron, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Good to chat with you. And it's, it's, I, I know that it's still uh, quite a ways away until the puck drops on a new season, but always good to have that schedule set. Uh, exciting day for the Wranglers ahead of year two in the American League. Yeah, that's just it, Pat. Just, you know, building on the excitement, uh, you know, of the of Wranglers being in Calgary. And, and you're right. It's uh, it's not too far away. And, you know, releasing the schedule is just one part of our overall preparation as a group for the Wranglers team. And, and uh, yeah, no exciting day, knowing when we're get going. And uh, leading up to our home opener, October 28th against Colorado. But, yeah, we're going to play the first four games on the road and then before we play our first home game. But, um, like I say, exciting to get going. 
Tell us about the offseason so far. We'll get into the coaching stuff in a little bit, get an update there. But aside from that, I don't know that was a big thing that you had to figure out what was going to be the future of your AHL head coach. But how has the offseason been in terms of uh, player personnel and and getting things uh, getting things all situated for next year? How's the offseason been so far? Yeah, in the American League, every, every year you know, is obviously a little bit different. You have, you have players moving on. You have players you expect to move up to the, to the NHL team. And, and uh, you know, the Wranglers is no different. You know, we, we had three RFAs that we brought back in, in, um, in Ben Jones and, and Emilio Pedersen, um, uh, of two of them that, that, that were excited to have back and um, brought back Colton Pullman as well. who was going to be a UFA on, on the back end. And, you know, we just, we just felt that, you know, players that produced well for us that are still developing uh, to keep them in the system. Now, in saying that, every player that played in the Wranglers last year under an NHL contract, I mean, their hope is to come into training camp and earn a spot in the NHL team. So what the Wranglers roster and how it plays out, other than perhaps American League contracts, um, you know, time will tell. And, and we're hoping that the we see some progression from these guys that they're pushing for full-time spots. But as for the off season, I mean, overall, as you've seen with the NHL, it's it's uh, uh, where we're at cap wise is um, it's a little bit tight. You've seen a little bit of that with the with our American League, but um, you know, looking at projected numbers, I think we're going to be in a good spot. How do you go about building on the last couple of seasons? Here you are. You uh, have been one of the best teams in the American League. Your last year in Stockton, your first year last year with the Wranglers. And and it's such a cyclical league, and, and nothing is, is ever quite the same from one year to the next, even more so than in the NHL. So is, is the expectation to build on what you did last year, is that the, the number one thing, or is that kind of secondary when it comes to the development conversation? Yeah, it's always the development conversation, Pat. Like, I think to build on last year, of course, we, we, we're, you know, we're one year in the city. We want to build excitement. We want it to be fun for families and people to come to our games, and I think I think fans saw that last year to see future flames, and and that's going to be no different going forward. We're going to have some new players coming in. We have William Stromgren, Lucas Siona expected to both be, you know, uh, making their pro debuts, and uh, you know I think it's all about development. So the building on that last year, of course, you know you'd like to win more win more games than you lose, but the important aspect of us having a team here in Calgary is is developing players and and making them future flames and that's that's always our focus uh you want to put them in a winning environment we've had some success in doing that especially the last couple years so that's no different but it doesn't take away from from our primary goal of development yeah you mentioned that goal and i was going to ask you and you kind of touched on it there the development aspect versus winning so i'm going to take it just slightly a different way from your role and your perspective how tricky is it but also enjoyable is it to lose key guys off of the Wranglers roster because they do get promoted up to the Flames. Well, it's it's you're proud. It's, it's it's honestly for for the the staff and and myself. It's it, you're proud to see those guys go up and and especially have success. Uh, whether it's playing their first game, scoring their first goal, playing on the power play, playing on the PK. I mean, it's it, you're proud to see that that you you've taken 
perhaps a small part in their development of getting to their ultimate goal. So, you know, when players move up, that it's, you know, that's that everybody knows that's that's what we're in it for. It. So, uh, it might cost us some losses as a team if we lose some key guys, but you know, we're all aware of that, and that's the American Hockey League, quite frankly. So, no, we're 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 always excited to see guys progress, and we're and quite frankly, we're looking for for more players on our roster last year to to push for spots and i think you know craig conroy said that right from the get-go of you know of of having young guys compete for spots and and that's what we're hoping we we had the number one team in the american league in the regular season for a reason we have some really good talented players and and we want them hopefully having good summers and pushing for spots come training camp you mentioned that development comes over winning, but I imagine winning helps spur that development of, of being in a competitive environment as well for some of these kids. Yeah, there, there's no question, Aaron. You you don't want to be sitting, you know, in a in a having having guys develop when you're 0 and 72. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. like that helps. I don't like that helps anything. So you know, I think you want to be you want to be in a competitive environment, and you, and you hope that you're winning more than you're losing. Um, and number two is, is development. Well, number one is development, but as I'm going through here and, and then, you know, with development and with winning comes accountability, accountability is on players of making sure that they're doing the right thing and following the systems and, and being pros along the way. So, you know, those, those accountability is paramount as part of your development progress and, and, uh, and winning process. Well, and Brad, it's funny you talk about the, how, how proud you are and, and how gratifying it is when you see guys make their NHL debuts and make that jump. And I'm curious as to how you, you go back and look at last year because, you know, you think about it, Simone Gilbert had to play some big roles. Uh, obviously, Jacob Pelche had 20-plus games in the NHL. Walker Dewar turned himself into a guy that a lot of people are expecting to be a full-time NHLer. When you look back at last season and the way that you were able to graduate players and use the American League team to help augment the NHL team, how do you evaluate it? Well, it just that I think I think we have players that are that are ready to be called up. They're ready to play the system. They're ready to make an impact. And that's I mean that's how I evaluate it. Is 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 you know we 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 have players that are ready to go. And uh, you know whether it's a top six role and you've seen Jacob Pelche come up or a bottom six role in in Walker Dewar's case. So you know I think we have players in our prospect system. Uh, some free agents that we signed in the way of Clark Bishop and and Dryden Hunt are both returning players, but you know these are players that have played in the NHL before uh, that can push up in, in certain roles and be ready to go along with other prospects. So, you know that that's why I evaluated. I evaluated that we have players that are that that are, have been ready and will be ready, and that's the most important thing is having depth for your NHL squad. We're talking with Brad Pascal. He is the general manager of the Calgary Wranglers and the VP of Hockey Operations, assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames. Joining us here on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk, Steinberg and Vickers along with you. Brad, we just saw last week development camp roll through Calgary up at Winsport. And I'm curious from your perspective, do you have to look at that a little bit differently than maybe some of the other coworkers you have over there, both with a short term and a long term being a 
assistant general manager, but also the GM for the Calgary Wranglers, because you look at short term who might be able to help you. And there were a lot of free agents that uh, might be turning pro in that camp, but also the long-term development of the prospects already in the Flames organization. Yeah, good, good question, Aaron. It, you know, probably for me, to be honest, it's, it's I, I take more of a short-term approach. Um, I know the long-term approach, you know, is for, for guys that are in college, like Jake Boltman uh, and players that we know are going back to junior. Uh, you know, of course, I'm involved in that, but I leave that to our development team, Ray Edwards and, and Marty Jelena, of, of working with them. You know, short term, you know, my eyes were a lot on on free agents that we brought in, um, you know, that might be pushing for either an NHL or an AHL contract and players that, you know, we have expectation of turning pro, you know, guys that I mentioned, Siona and Stromgren and others. And, you know, we signed a couple of goalies out of college that that we'd be pushing for time. So through Jordan Siglet's leadership that identified those guys and players that we want in our system. So, you know, it, it, that's probably how I look at it. I mean, as an organization, you, you love to see your prospects. You love to see the guys we drafted this year. Um, but, you know, I think for most of them, that's a little bit more of a long-term vision, and, and we're comfortable with where we have our development staff onto them. With that, what is the pitch, or what are you telling, whether it be prospects in this camp or, or veteran free agents, about the opportunity with the Wranglers? Because you are about to graduate a couple of prospects. Uh, leading scorer from a year ago, Matthew Phillips, is no longer in the organization. So what's the opportunity like, whether it be for a prospect or a perhaps more veteran pro, when it comes to the opportunity with the Calgary Wranglers next season? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's probably twofold. It's the opportunity with the Calgary Flames that, it, you know, your hope that there's prog- more progression of guys going up um, and guys grabbing full-time spots. Uh, as Pat mentioned, even part-time spots of guys going up that maybe haven't in the past. So that's number one. And yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know, how, how do I sell it? I mean, we're an attractive spot on the yep. HL circuit. Cal- Calgary's an attractive place to play. Um, you know, there's opportunity for growth. They've seen that. They've seen our competitive teams. They've seen playing at the Saddle Dome in front of, in front of great fans and, and I think ultimately they look at a potential opportunity to, to to further their career and and play in the NHL. So I think I think that's that those are probably some key things that that you know that we look at when we talk about you know a stepping stone of the Calgary Wranglers. Brad Aaron just asked you uh, about or, or or mentioned the fact that Matthew Phillips no longer with the organization, and I I know we all wish him well now with Washington, and and it leaves uh, an opportunity for some other players to step up. When you take a look at you know your roster for next year and and who you project to be on it, who are some of the guys that you think can can really step up and help fill that void and make the most of an opportunity to be a, a top line guy on your on your team? Mm-hmm. Well, it, you know what it's really hard for me to, to pinpoint guys. And as I said, like, you know, the, these guys are, are working hard this summer and, you know, their mindset is to play in the NHL. So I don't want to list a bunch of players. That, right. You know, then, then they turn out and they're like, wow, you know, Brad Pascal said, I'm just playing in the American <laughs> league. <laughs> I'm joking, but, but Hey, there, there's, we, we have, a, you know, we had some young players. I mentioned already Stromgren, Martin Pospisil was hurt a lot last year. He's coming back. I think, He's a guy that needs to play time in the American League. I, I still feel he's a guy that's going to push for the NHL um, and players that we've re-signed. I mean, yeah, I, I think Cole Schwintz is going to be a player that will push at camp. Connor Zari, 
Um, you know, was second in scoring on the Wranglers. I think he's going to have a really big summer, and I think he's going to continue to push. So, you know, I think these are guys that that you know are is going to make us a competitive team. And I think we, you know, we're, we're probably looking to have some um, a good portion of our defense returning. And then, you know, we obviously, you know, if we signed Oscar Dansk and, and we continue to have Dustin Wolf under contract, um, you know, and obviously there's competition at every spot with the NHL roster. Let me, uh, let me ask you then about a couple of the guys that, that were able to take some, some big steps last year. And you mentioned Connor Zeri, his uh, second full season with your team. And but but really in a lot of ways first full season because the the first year he only played half a year and had to battle back from an injury. So I, I'm what did you what did you see progression wise? What did you see growth wise from Connor Zary last year? Strength and pace uh, are two areas that you know I think he's been told since he's 12 years old that that's you know are areas that he has to work on and. And uh, continues to work on, and and those were those were some things that I noticed for him. Um, you know, I think just the confidence with his play overall that he had some success. You know, from a goals and assist standpoint, but you know, of of not trying to do too much on his own on a regular basis. And I think those were progressions to his game. And I I, I you know he's a guy that you know we had him playing both center and wing, and I think he now. He realizes he has the ability to play both and be successful at both. And, and uh, you know, in case there there's a position open in the NHL in either of those spots that he, he knows he feels comfortable with that. But, hey, he continues to be an exciting young prospect for our group and and somebody that I'm looking forward to seeing his progression over the summer here of, 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 of leading into camp and, and, uh, and know that, I know that he's focused to to you know make a splash starting at the start of training camp. And the other name you mentioned, it was kind of a uh, an interesting year for Cole Schwint. His first year in the organization, he had some stretches where he was playing high up in the lineup. He had you know even in the playoffs, he uh, went through a, a small stretch where he was a healthy scratch. Then back when it was the most important time of the year, he was playing in a really high leverage spot down the middle. I'm just how how do you evaluate or how do you look at Cole's first year as part of the Flames organization? Yeah, and just even in talking to Cole, I think I think it was, I mean, it was a little bit of a difference playing um, out west in the American League versus out east. I, th- I think, um, and nothing against out east, but I think, you know, out west we find that it's just it seems like game in and game out. There's more competition and more of a competitive environment, and I think that you know that's a little bit just getting your head around and getting used to, and I think. I think that was a real positive thing for Cole. Um, you know, he, he's a player that we included in that in part of that our trade with Florida last year for a reason. Yep. Um, you know, a guy that we watched in junior, but you know that our pro scouts that really liked to you know his year in Charlotte in the American League of 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 a player. He's got big. You know, he's got good size. Still filling out. Needs to get needs to get some more weight. Needs to get stronger. Um, and but he's got you know he's got an obvious skill set that the you know big strong centerman and, and uh, yeah how I saw his year I, I you know he was he was playing first line in the playoffs for us um, when we played Coachella in that yep. last series so you know it, it's a guy that I think he's he left the season this year with a ton of confidence and and quite frankly in talking to him I, I think he's just gonna he's gonna bring that confidence into camp and that's exciting.
You uh, you talked about Dustin Wolf. He's the two-time American League goaltender of the year, now the reigning AHL MVP. Brad, how, how flexible are the Wranglers ready to be when it comes to working with working with the Flames and, and knowing Dustin is waiver-exempt to maybe get him time in both leagues this year if that's something that has to end up being uh, broached or something that you end up having to uh, approach when it comes to working with him and, and uh, getting him into games at the NHL level? Yeah, well, first, first off, you know, Jordan Siglet and, and Mackenzie Skapsky and, and Jason LaBarbera, you know, they... The, they have great relationship with Dustin and, and work with him on a regular basis. And, and, uh, and, you know, Dustin obviously had another tremendous year MVP of the league. And, um, you know, we know that he's, we know what he's done. We know that he continues to push and we know what a great player and competitor he is. So, you know, there's no flexibility on the Wranglers part. I mean, we're looking to progress players to the NHL. And yep. if there's a, if there becomes an opportunity, we know that Dustin, you know, just the player that he is and the confidence level that he has. But when that time comes, we'll know, we know he'll be ready and he knows he'll be ready. And, um, you know, really we'll see how things play out as it goes along, whether he's playing on the Wranglers roster. I mean, that's great for him. Uh, ultimately, like every player and Dustin's, Dustin's included in that group, he needs to be playing games. Yep. You know, Dustin, Dustin's going to continue to develop by playing games, not sitting on the bench in the American League or the NHL. So, um, you know, how he is going to continue to get better. And, you know, he's coming off a tremendous year, of course, but um, it, just to gain more experience is playing games. And that's ultimately what I think organization we're going to continue to look at of, of all of our players playing games. And in Dustin's case, he's no different. A couple more with Brad Pascal, the uh, vice president of hockey operations and assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames. It's a mouthful of a new title, Brad. I, uh, I got I to gotta gotta think and pause before I go to it every time. Um, you mentioned William Stromgren and you also mentioned Lucas Siona. Uh, Stromgren got into two AHL games last year before you went into the postseason. kind of got his feet wide in North America after coming over from Sweden. And yeah, I, I spoke to Lucas at development camp. He sat down with us and you know, as well as anybody, uh, we're talking about a very mature young man. Tell us about those two and, uh, the excitement level of having a couple of 20 year olds enter the AHL picture for next year. Yeah, different players. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, Lucas is a is a real true leader. He's he's you know he he looks like a a man, uh, meaning like he's he's uh, he he really pri- takes pride in in uh, you know putting on have, uh, being a strong power forward, if you will. Um, and you know, William is a developing player. Where you know, William's. William's goals is years to get stronger and, and, and putting on more weight and, and playing in a pro environment here on a regular basis. And, and, you know, it's just getting ready, but Hey, two exciting prospects, both drafts and, and uh, you know, we're, we're exciting, exciting, excited to have them in the mix here and continue to work with them. And um, you know, by all things considered, our expectation is they're turning pro and, and, uh, and, 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 I think it's just part of their development curve and their development process. Where are we on uh, the search for a new head coach, Brad? We know that Mitch has uh, Mitch Love has has left and joined the Washington Capitals organization. What uh, what are we at in terms of an update? How close are you to naming the next head coach of the Calgary Wranglers? 
Yeah, you know, we've had, you know, as a group with uh, Don Maloney and, and Craig and Dave and myself, you know, we sat down and, and went through, you know, targeted some people that we thought would be good candidates for this position. And then, of course, you're answering, you know, answering calls and texts and emails of other people that want to apply and, and interested in that and, and really building out a list. Um, you know, we've talked to a number of people, all really qualified candidates. And, you know, where we're at in the process is continue to talk to some people. Um, and, you know, I would say you're, you know, over the next week or so, you know, hopefully get get to where we're at a recommendation and, and, and hopefully move forward. But, okay. you know, I can, t- I can tell you that there's a lot of great, great candidates out there and, and uh, and we've talked to a number of them, but and, and I really enjoy it. To be honest, I, I enjoy talking to you know potential coaches. It gives you a little bit of an insight of of uh, how people are, how they look at the game, and and it and it gives you it builds relationships with with player with coaches that I maybe didn't know in the past, and you know talk for a couple hours in an interview. I, you know I think it's it's good relationship whether they get the job or not. I think it it's. Uh, it's a good thing for the organization. Good thing for me myself, as I, you know, as we're building a coaching base and, and relationship base with with coaches from different leagues and um, and different age groups, if you will. And I think it's a real positive thing. But yeah, the process is ongoing. Is probably the best way to, to summarize yeah. it. Um, it's a, it's a priority for us. It's an important position for the organization. And um, and you know, we'll hopefully get to the finish line here sooner and later. I do wonder when you're recruiting and when you're looking for that next head coach and you look at since you've been here, Ryan Huska, head coach in Adirondack and Stockton, now the head coach of the Flames and has been an assistant uh, for the last five years prior. Kale McLean, head coach in Stockton, he's an assistant with the Flames. Mitch Love, two years, now he's an assistant with Washington. Like you're, you're graduating coaches. How much of a selling point is that for your group when you're trying to recruit coaches from other levels? You know what? I, I haven't had to play that card, to be honest. With you. I think I think I think they recognize that. They recognize. That, okay, so you, you know, should that play we, that card. Like I'm just. I don't want to give you advice, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> no, yeah. I get it. I get yeah, it. no, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I, I absolutely. But I, you know, I think that people realize that you know that that those are things we've done. That we've that we you know have sometimes looked out of the box and hiring people like a guy like Mitch that had really coached only three years as a head coach and and. Uh, you know, that we just felt was a good fit for the organization. And, and most importantly, is going to help develop our young players. And, and you know, so I think the coaching fraternity recognizes that, and it's something that we don't have to put on a billboard and sell. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're doing interviews and talking to people, and, and we're going to pick the coach we feel is best for the organization right now and, and how they're going to best develop our players. And that's, you know, whether that's somebody with, with, you know, 20 years of head coach experience or somebody with two years of head coach experience, it's, you know, that's the process you go through. Brad, am I still in the running or did my resume even hit your desk? Um, I think it's in a file folder. Filed uh, under G? The, yeah, the last two or three times that you've applied, but I, I think I'd have to dust it off. But okay. no. Fair enough. Yep. Appreciate your honesty. That's the most yeah. important part. <laughs> I handle rejection well, so we're, we're good on that front.
Um, yeah, that's good stuff. Hey, it was uh, it was a great first year in Calgary. Let's close it off there. Uh, do uh, put your uh, put your uh, salesman hat on, Mister AGM and a VP of Hockey Operations. Uh, why why should people look into getting season tickets, game packs, whatever for the Calgary Wranglers? They're on sale right now at CalgaryWranglers.com for year two at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Why should people come out and watch the Wranglers at the Dome, Brad? I mean, hey, it's it's the future flames, uh, reasonably priced tickets, a great family environment, a great environment. You know, you look through our home dates. We, we, we do play a lot of afternoon games as well, which I think is, I think it's great for kids. It's great for teams. Yeah. Minor hockey teams. You know, I, I, it's, it's just a really good environment. I, I, you know, having been around it a long time here, it's, it is great hockey to watch. You're watching the future flames. You're getting a, you're getting a good base, and it, it's entertaining hockey. At the end of the day, it's really entertaining hockey, and it's right here in Calgary in our backyard. So, um, yeah, we're excited about the upcoming season. Nice job. Uh, thanks for doing this, Brad. Appreciate the time, as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Hey, have a great rest of your summer. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. That's Brad Pascal, the Vice President of Hockey Operations, Assistant General Manager of the Calgary Flames, GM of the Calgary Wranglers, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344.